0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name is Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Dr. Joanna Camillan. Joanna is one of Australia's best-known nutrition and lifestyle specialists. She's a PhD-qualified nutrition scientist, TEDx speaker, regularly appears on TV, and is the author of eight books. Joanna, thank you so much for making the time to come and talk to me today. You're the first nutritionist that we've had come on the podcast. So there
0: you
1: go. I've been (laughs) wanting to... Well, I feel very honoured to have you on here. I've been um, wanting to have someone to talk about this area for a long time and feel very fortunate. I've looked you up and seen your work and you've done amazing things. I can't believe how much you've actually done. So I feel very lucky to have you on here. So I just want to first of all say thank you for doing it.
2: Thanks, Nick. But an absolute joy to be here. I love doing podcasts. You know, what's what's not to love about just having a chat with someone?
1: Yeah, it's great. And if it's stuff you're passionate about, it's always exciting to be able to talk about it and get the word out there. Yeah, Um, sure. Yeah, so I guess um, the first question before we go into it, I always try and ask the guest, can you give, give me a little bit of a background on yourself and how you got to where you are today?
2: Yeah, well, I was always a bit of a science nerd. I loved science at school. So I sort of knew roughly I wanted to be in the, in the world of health somehow, health and science. Um, but I was actually a fitness instructor first. So I did social sciences, bizarrely. So I had a bit of a psychology, sociology background. Um, and then I did I, I worked as a, and trained as a fitness instructor, but I very then fast realized actually exercise and nutrition really do go hand in hand. I need to have mm. more nutrition knowledge. And that's when I went back to university and I did a Bachelor of Science. And then I did my honours in nutrition and dietetics, um, worked for a while and then came out here to Australia in nineteen nine um, and then did my Ph.D. in nutrition science at Sydney Uni. So that sort of expanded. The PhD in the research and academics, you know, triggers my little nerdy brain, Um, (laughs) but essentially my work since university has been about communication. So I've worked in media and being able to translate, because what's the point in the science if we can not actually translate into, what does that mean for you and me and everyone else in terms of our daily life choices? So I guess my career over the last 20 years has been very very much involved with the the Lifestyle Medicine um, Association movement here in Australia and helping to grow that. Um, and essentially lifestyle medicine takes into play with my two loves, the exercise and, and nutrition, but also talks about sleep and stress and social connections and all of these other aspects of, in our lifestyles and our environments mm. that we now know influences. And it's e- very much evidence-based. We know that that influences our health long-term but also, you know, every aspect of the way we look, feel and our energy levels and so on here today. And that's really what drives me is how can I help people to sift through all the nonsense that's out there and really find the little nuggets of gold that are the knowledge that helps us uh, to, to be our best, essentially.
1: Yeah, which is so important. And talking to you, you know, before this, I think um, it made it pretty clear that it- with nutrition, it's like anything where if we're not looking after other parts of our wellness, it's going to fall by the wayside. And um, the thing that, you know, about you as well, that I love what you said there, you're sounds like, you know, there's not many people that can combine um, the scientific side with the communication side. Effectively, you've normally either got someone who is, you know, a hardcore researcher or someone, I guess, like myself, mm. though I'm not, you know, I, I wish I was, you know, a um, psychologist or had a degree in it, but I'm more an advocate and interviewing mm. people and going down that side. But um, sounds like you're very effectively combined the two, which is, you know, a pretty amazing and important thing, because then you can really get this, um, that, you know, scientific yeah. important information and, out to the world.
2: And do you know what we do need the advocates? Because you're absolutely right. There's lots of scientists who are got amazing brains, you know, that are so much clever and better at science than I am, but are, are really bad at communicating that to the public yeah. or to being able to put it into language and onto a level that, that we can all understand. And, and then I, you know, I, I take big lessons from people that I see who are fantastic on social media or who are really good in the media communications. And and I've got absolutely no problem with those people, provided they are because they're you know they're they're amazing at their, their roles, and we need those advocates, provided they're giving the good information. So I, what yeah. I like about what you're doing is you're interviewing people who are and getting the right information out of these people and helping to spread the word, and that's what we need. And the trouble only comes when you've got those really um, powerful marketeers of a particular <laughs> approach or diet or lifestyle or exercise form that is not evidence-based, but because they're brilliant at kind of selling it, um, mm. and you, and often they're celebrities uh, and they've, or they've got some sort of celebrity endorsement, then that's where it gets dangerous because then how is uh, is the consumer supposed to be able to rifle through all of this information and really get, get the, the points that are going to make a difference for them? So I do, I do get concerned about, particularly when things are potentially dangerous that are being said in, in a particular approach. Um, and I think we always have to come back to where is this information coming from and is this necessarily going to be right for me? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, because what works for one person is not always going to work for someone else.
1: Yeah, definitely. It leads to me to a question I wanted to ask about. Um, it's like what you're saying in, in any area, um, you know, where you've got groups where people will go and, you know, uh, you'll go and chant for a week and rev you up and we're going to change your life. And, you know, you do this for a week, give us $10,000 and you'll be better. And, and, you, um, um, you know, fitness versions of it, there's, you in with nutrition you know there's every diet you can possibly think of and do this plan and this and that um how how do we sift through all of that and find what can actually work for us because it can be overwhelming and it's um yeah another reason I wanted to interview you on this because it's I hear about that through you know my own personal friendships and Mm. um always there's this struggle of how you know people finding something they can actually stick to and sustain to get long-term results in in this area
2: well, yeah. you've, you've kind of just hit the nail on the head there, Nick, because when, when I talk about what are the most important things when it comes to your diet, and and actually this applies to exercise, it applies to lifestyle change as total. And one of the most important words is consistency. Yeah. So that this is, the, you know, it, it sounds blindingly obvious when I'm saying this, because of course what you're doing regularly is what's really going to count, but people get so caught up in... I've got to do this three day detox, or I'm going to do this eight week program or this four week program, whatever it might be. And then they wonder why when whatever it is, it's finished, whether it's three days or whether it's you know three months, when it's over and they go back to what they were doing before and they wonder why the same problems return. And that applies yeah. to whether we're talking about weight or whether we're talking about gut health or brain health or whatever else. If you go back to what you were doing before because it's too difficult to stick with because often these kinds of particularly the short-term fixes are very very extreme they're very very difficult to keep up and you know the willpower, things like weight control, is nothing to do with willpower, because when I watch what some people do um, when they're taking part in some of these programs, it's enormous willpower and incredible uh, dedication to follow it, but you can't keep it up long-term. So you've got to ask the question, could I do this consistently for the foreseeable future? And if the answer is no, and it doesn't fit with your lifestyle, if it's really extreme and very difficult to keep up, or you just don't enjoy it, that's my number two word, is joy, Um, If you you really, really hate running at six in the morning, you're not Mm. going to keep that up, you're going to do it while you've kind of got the whip on your back thinking I've got to do this I've got to do this but eventually it's going to slip by the wayside. So I think finding, um, you know, just look at whatever the particular thing is, what changes is it asking you to make and could I do these changes for forever um yep. or at least for the foreseeable future then that might be a good a good program for you but honestly something that you do a detox program for 3 days is going to make absolutely zilch difference to your long-term health and probably is just going to mess up your relationship with your body and with food so you know psychologically a lot of those kind of short-term fix extreme programs are really damaging
1: yeah yeah so trying to look at it more um logically and learning you know learning the science behind it learning okay what 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 is good for me what's not what's available to me and then trial and error making your own decisions finding what can i within my schedule and in my day-to-day life make work for me the same i guess the same way uh, i mean the advice i always give with exercise i've been exercising my whole life is um just go and find what you can actually sustain. And like you said, what you can enjoy, because if you're not enjoying it, there's no way you're going to stick to it. And I've also had friends where, you know, they'll, they'll come and, you know, they'll go gung ho on it and, you know, be absolutely just going full bolt with exercising and, wearing themselves out and they, then they hate it and then they don't stick to it and it's like you you got to make it find what can yeah. work so I guess that's the the same sort of thing
2: for sure I mean I'll counter that with saying yeah, I don't always feel like going for my workout um, yeah but I always I'm glad I've done it at the end so you know yeah. exercise is a funny one in that you say uh, so I do sort of warn people that look I don't always love every minute of the work you know exercise by nature can be tough and it's we, we actually need that challenge to ourselves at the age I'm at now, <laughs> and now I'm interested in kind of healthy aging and how can I make sure that I still have my energy levels and that I can, you know, my skin is good and that, you know, I try to age as well. So we keep life in our years. That's a, my next big project. But even yeah. there, when we look at what are the sort of anti-aging or positive aging factors, it is actually about challenging your body a little bit because that's what switches on the sort of survival and the longevity genes. Um, so it's kind of, so I think exercise is an interesting one because you've got to push yourself sometimes and it can mm. get uncomfortable, but mm. you get that high afterwards and you really, you know, that's where the joy comes in. But you've got to find something that, you know, is not, you don't hate doing, but you yeah. like it because it challenges you. So, you know, I do, I do hit training on, on the bike in an indoor spin class and I do some boxing classes and, they, you know, I have moments in those classes where I go, oh my God, this is <laughs> please let this be over. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, when it gets to the end, I'm always like, yes, that was fantastic. I've, you know, you've got the mental health high from, from doing it. So, yep. you know, I think it, it is about, but it is about finding that joyful thing. You know, you just won't. Well, I struggle to do yoga regularly because I just don't get that same high from it, but other people get really into yoga and absolutely love it. And, and the other thing is to also recognize what your limitations are. You know, if you've got injuries or certainly, exercise i'm doing now in my 40s is a little bit different to what i was doing in my 20s and i don't go Mm. running anymore so i'm not pounding my joints on on the pavement anymore that i used to do when i was younger so it's also a matter of sort of adjusting your routine as you go on but yeah i I actually i'm a a firm believer in the fact that exercise is one of the most important things we've got to do throughout life and if you get into the habit when you're younger that's going to and we probably need it even more when we're older Um, But getting into those habits early is the best thing we can do because then you'll keep it up.
1: And as you were saying earlier with nutrition, it's not just about getting the nutrition aspect right. It's about everything's interconnected. If we're not sleeping enough, if we're not exercising, we're going to feel lethargic. We're going to be more Mm. likely to eat junk and not make the effort. I guess like that it's like any part of wellness it's all about balance and and connecting everything to to get the right diet yeah
2: yeah so on my online program and a lot of my my sort of uh, public communications what i talk about is they're kind of interconnecting circles and i i call them my six pillars of the program which are are food drink exercise activity sleep and stress and then they're underpinned by a big circle which is joy um and so you know because we are pleasure seekers we have reward Mm. centers in our brain that reward us for behaviors that the body likes. Now, they're not always behaviors that are good for us, like you know, drinking too much or you know, partying too hard or whatever, whatever it might be for you. Um, so, so we've got to kind of try and drive the brain towards those behaviors we also know that are really good for us and the foods that we know are really, really good for us. But, so that's the joy underpinning it. But the other six pillars all overlap. So just as you say, you know, sometimes when I'm working with someone, I'll say, well, we can't even target changing your eating patterns until I get you sleeping better. Because if you're really exhausted, your stress levels are through the roof. And of course, that's lots of people in this year of the we're talking at the end of the year of a world pandemic. Anxiety levels for many people have been through the roofs. People are stressed. You know, people have been struggling financially. There's all sorts of different things that have been on our on our plates this year. So if your stress levels are up here, impacting your sleep because you're tossing and turning half the night. It is very difficult if your default position is not already one of healthy eating to actually make yourself make the changes because your default position we see this in research quite strongly when people are under stress you you, you defer to your default position now if your default position yeah. is pick up some you know fast food on the way home for dinner you know um, uh, get tucked into the beers or the bottle of wine at night whatever whatever is your default position skipping exercise and just watching Netflix instead, uh you know all of these things are if that's your default position under stress that's where you're going to go whereas mm. if you can try and overtime, and this is just about repeat it it's that consistency again if you can make your default position actually do you know what i really need when I'm, I'm really stressed is i need to go for a walk get out in nature with the dog um i need to make a really healthy meal and i need to get an early night and get some good sleep everything's going to look a bit brighter tomorrow um then that becomes your default position and it's easier to keep it up so i think recognizing the way i like to think of it it almost is like it's a kind of graphic equalizer for our lifestyle change and our diet and sometimes one thing is really out of whack so and 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 this is always a work in progress i mean this is my career but Mm. i still stop myself and assess every now and again am i drinking too much am i not what's happened to my exercise i've just not fitted in in my usual levels this week or you know, or my eating is not quite normally the health eating is the easiest one for me, but I might've been eating too much or eating out at a restaurant too often. And so you sort of, you know, I'm not eating, drinking my water in the day and you adjust those little balances. And for some of us, it's a little tweak of everything, but for other people, you might recognize, you know what, I know it's my stress. That's the big priority here, or I know it's my sleep, or I know it's my exercise and then focus on that one area before you come to look at everything else.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, um, and I think it's, Something that I've seen so much with the pandemic where people, like you're saying, sort of threw all these wellness habits out the window, which, you know, I think in those difficult, uncertain circumstances is actually when we should be doing the opposite, leaning more into these healthy habits because, you know, we're struggling with other areas and we need it. Um, You know, one of the things I talk about all the time is just how important creating those habits are and doing these things daily. um, Yeah you know, even when we're feeling amazing and we feel like they're not helping us still doing them. So then when we do need them, like you're saying, you default into them. So I guess that with nutrition and everything else you're talking about, it's so important. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, my husband is ex army and he always tells our teenagers, you know, that uh, there's a general in the army who, who does this talk to young people and he says the most important thing you've got to do is make your bed in the morning now that yeah. sounds so simplistic and what on earth does that mean but actually you know when you get down to the heart of it and he goes on to very eloquently explain what he's talking about but essentially that is a thing you know that it is that daily ritual and the mere act of you know and that's why in the army it's all about rituals but they have to make their bed their packs have to be done you know, their boots polished. their that sort of self-care and that's that ritual of just getting into the habit of doing something is essentially, mm. what we, we have to try to do when we're talking about our own lifestyle change,
1: yeah, massively. I know, yeah, because I think we all know that feeling. And when you're overwhelmed, and if I ever get stressed, it's in the morning, and my brain will be going a million miles an hour and worrying about all these different things I want to do. And you can get so stuck in that, but if you just simply get up and do one thing, often that's the hardest thing to do. But then as soon as you do that, you're like, before you know it, you've done 10 other things, and you're like, oh, it's not even yeah. you know that big of a, an issue. But that's the hardest thing for people to do and it's like I you know I can't speak highly enough of having those daily routines because I've had so many times when my own life's fallen apart and haven't been able to control anything and you're overwhelmed and then you just go and you know that gives you the security that I know every day I can do these things that make me feel good and I'm in control of when we can't control a lot of other things so yeah 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 I think
2: you know I'm not a big list writer I know some people like to have their to-do list all the time but you know for those so whatever motivates you to To help you to change but i always think you know for me personally as long as i have you know i I have got if we're going to talk healthy eating Mm. some sort of a structure so that i roughly know what my i try to have kind of two meals and if i'm hungry i'll have a snack or something in between um and and having that sort of structure in the day uh, you know helps me so that you get that kind of routine and as long as you can tick off one thing what have i actually achieved today you know, as long as you can achieve something every single day, you don't have to get through your entire to-do list.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're
2: just too hard on ourselves. And and from a nutrition perspective, you also don't have to have every single meal perfectly correct because there is no such thing, really. Um, yeah. It is, it is about just making those little small changes and mostly doing the right thing um, That that is going to make a big difference to you.
1: And would you say with nutrition, it's a similar mindset that, You know, you're saying before with exercises and I, you know, I think everyone exercising can relate to, you know, sometimes you don't want to do it and it's painful when you're doing it, but then you feel amazing after if we're Mm. setting, okay, I need to eat these certain foods that I don't enjoy, but I need them because they're good for me. Having that mindset that I'm going to do it, not because I want that instant gratification, but it's going to make me feel good after. Um, Is it important to have that mindset with it?
2: For sure. Although I always assure, you know, assure people that there is no one food that you absolutely have to eat because yeah, are, yeah. that's the great thing about diet. Uh, yep. you know, there are numerous different sorts of foods. There are numerous different vegetables. Um, I'm mm-hmm. still discovering new fruits or vegetables or things that, you know, I don't know, because there are different parts of the world. Um, even yep. coming to Australia, there were there's foods here. I just discovered a new fruit uh, yeah. <laughs> that's in Queensland that I had never heard of before. And so people have been writing to me, telling me all about this these amazing tropical fruits that we get in Queensland. So there are numerous different options. If you hate kale, I promise you, you can have a very healthy diet without ever eating kale. So,
1: good, you know, good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot
2: of people love kale, I've got to say. I don't think
1: many people do. Yeah. <laughs>
2: no. My father always says to me, why? why What's the thing about kale? That's what we used to feed the cattle. So, you know, it was animal food when <laughs> I was growing up. Yeah, what's so, happened? Yeah, I think kale's a tricky food. Um, yeah, so look, there's no one food that you absolutely have to. There are lots of choices. And really, healthy diets are about, we understand what the big picture is of feeding the mm. human race, and that is we really need to get back to eating more real whole foods, which doesn't mean no processing at all. We've got a bit of confusion over the word because there's no technical definition of what's a processed food, what's not. So in nutrition science, we've started talking about ultra processed foods. So there's actually a system of categorizing foods now, which I, I'm kind of a fan of. Um, mm. So rather than this, we're still in this phase of demonizing people, either demonize fat or they demonize carbohydrates. And that's a bit ridiculous, really, because these are just nutrients that are present in foods. They don't actually tell you much about what the big picture nutrition wise it is about a food, what its carb level is, who cares? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's about what the whole food does. What else does it give me? What, you know, what physical structures in? So this system is a different system, which actually looks at, you've got at one end of the spectrum, foods that are completely unprocessed. So, you know, you've got a carrot or an apple or a, you know, a potato in its skin out of the ground. That's mm-hmm. a totally different food to a French fry that's you know, the skin's been removed, the potato has been mashed with an inch of its life, made into a powder, <laughs> reconstituted into French fries and then deep fried in a refined seed oil. Uh, you know, that's a different yeah. than actual potato. So that's a good example of an ultra process compared to a, a not processed. But then we've got, you know, the tier two are things like cooking at the end of the day is a level of processing and cooking certainly makes food tastier most of the time. Uh, it releases nutrients. Some, it, it makes food safer a lot of the time. So there's a real role there, you know, that's a, mm. a very human aspect to be cooking our food. So, of course, that's not that's usually beneficial, in fact, not negative at all. Um, but when we get to the other end of the extreme, the ultra processed foods are those foods where, you know, the, the particular the carbohydrate, let's say it's sugar or it's starch has been extracted from the whole plant food. You know, everything else has been discarded. It's been concentrated, refined, and then usually mixed with other concentrated, refined extracts of foods or uh, artificial chemicals and things added to them. And it's those foods that we know are really bad for health. They're bad for your mental health, they're bad for your weight, they're bad for your gut health. Um, all of those things, we, these are the foods that we really want to be cutting back on. So that's the big picture of human nutrition is that essentially we want more foods down this end of the spectrum that mm. are more whole foods or minimally processed, or, you know, just cooked and prepared in a way that makes them more nutritious or, or tastier. If we concentrate on having mostly those, make sure that there's lots of plant foods in amongst that, mm. then how you put together your own individual diet Will depend on a number of different factors, like your culture, how familiar are these foods to you, what foods are available, um, you know, where you live, um, what's the way that you were brought up eating, uh, you know, do you tend to have your main meal at lunchtime or do you sit down, you know, as we most of us in Australia tend to have more of an evening meal. But that's a yeah. cultural thing, and what fits in with our lifestyles, um, and then your likes and dislikes. Have you got any allergies or intolerances? You know, there are genetic differences. There's a gene test that that um, I sometimes run for people, which is about nutritional and lifestyle related kind of factors that we know tweak what your, you know, what your healthiest diet is, um, what, what your ethical beliefs are, you know, do you, is an ethical choice, we all have to make that choice as to whether we're going to eat animal products or not. That's an ethical choice, your religion might drive some food choices, you know, so all of those things come into play. Mm-hmm. And you can build what you're, you know, you're going to, you're a young, uh, you know, ec- exercising guy with a particular level of muscle mass, you're going to have a totally different uh, nutritional need and energy need to a guy who's half your size, sits at a desk all day, doesn't really do much exercise. Your energy needs are totally different. Your, you know, your requirement for protein, for kilojoules, for particular nutrients is also going to be different. So all of those individual things will, will say whether you are better on this particular dietary pattern or this particular dietary pattern. Um, And so, you know, to me, that's a great thing. It gives us these options. We've got the foundations right. There's a whole lot of different ways that we can eat healthily.
1: Yeah, exactly. And no, it makes it just hearing that makes it a lot less overwhelming for for me, because um, like you're saying, when you hear that, no, you can't have carbohydrates, you can't have sugar, you can't have this. It makes it, you know, it's, it's again comes back to it's not sustainable because you're going to be just paranoid about every food you eat. You're going to end up hating the whole experience. So if you're yes. looking at it more like you're saying, well, it's okay to have a bit of this stuff and we know that certain things are not great for us. Some are good, but what's the hmm. overall benefit here? Um, you know, that, that makes sense. It's, it's a lot sure. more simple. Yeah,
2: for sure. And I know it's a boring word, um, but balance, it really mm. is about that balance of, of, and you know, what else is going on, um, in your lifestyle. And, yep. and there's particular medical conditions that might pop up that requires a therapeutic diet, um, you know, the keto diet is a good example of that, you know, as a, a, the clinical dietitians have been using keto diets for over a century as a therapeutic diet in young children with, with epilepsy that's uh, hard to treat, you right. know, but it, that, that doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. You know, it's been, yeah. been researched for particular effects on brain disorders, but nobody questions, you know, if you've got kidney disease and I give you a diet, so, so there's renal dietitians in, in hospitals who may have to prescribe low potassium diets or, um, you know, our very low salt diets or even low protein diets for people with kidney disease. That doesn't, we don't all start going, Oh, well, that's the way we should all be eating. Yet, yeah. We seem to be doing that for things like keto. Oh, well, if it's good for, if it's good for treating these brain disorders, Oh, isn't that what we should all be doing? Well, no, it's mm. a therapeutic diet. So we've got to recognize what is healthy eating, what is specific to our individual needs and, and where is a more clinical approach required? where you know foods can literally be part of that kind of therapy and, and medical support
1: and that's similar for i guess you know paleo diets we've got you know mm. things like fasting um all the different things that are out there is it? it's again looking at can that work for me it's not a one-stop you know fit for everyone is that the? because yes. it can i know so many people just get so overwhelmed um i mean i've i've found fasting really interesting and the, i think it resonated with me because i looked at the science behind it and it sounded logical that, you know, it's giving your body um, just a break from eating food. And then you're not going to be, it has a chance for cells to repair and whatever else happens yeah. with all of that. So that made sense. But a lot of it, when I look at the other aspects, it overwhelms me. Cause I'm like, God, I don't know, you know which one you meant to do. Like there's so many.
2: Exactly. Well, and and I call them dietary tribes. You know, people can get quite tribal and cultish about, yeah. about some of these approaches. And that gets a little, and that can get a little bit crazy. I'm also quite a fan of intermittent fasting. And the research is slowly building to suggest that it can be useful in certain ways. But it also isn't, you know, it's not a necessary or essential part. And it's not necessarily right for everybody. So if someone's got an eating disorder, for example, the last thing that you want to do is then suddenly have pressure on them to, you know, to to uh, put such clear rules around when and when they can and can't eat. So yep. I do have a little, so that is my one biggest fear of of the popularity of intermittent fasting is that it's yep. sort of becoming an excuse for people who basically are dieting or you don't want to eat or have bad relationship with food. Oh no, 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 I can't eat that because I'm I'm fasting today. Um, so, so I do sort of urge a little bit of caution around that, but yeah, for, for most of us uh, like you, I, I, it makes sense to me because shoveling in food, like a conveyor belt continually, <laughs> you know, when there was that phase of six meals a day, I was never a fan of that approach. Cause if you came to me and said, Joe, how do I put on weight? I would tell you to eat more often because <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's an easy way for me to get more kilojoules into you. And if you want to gain weight, you need more kilojoules into you. So it doesn't make sense to me that for most of us who are at least trying not to gain weight if not yep. actually actively try to lose a few kilos um you know we're, we're, it doesn't make sense to be eating more often and also i don't want people thinking continually about the next what the next meal is you know having some sort of a plan is a good idea but I don't want you th- for a lot of people. I want them thinking about food less. I want you to give yeah. some priority to meal times and make sure that you're eating well and you're eating good quality foods and in delicious in a delicious way. But then outside of meal times, I want you to be able to get your mind off food and have your mind on other things that are important. Yeah. To say. So yeah, for me, I, I, what I would say to most people for fasting is just start with twelve hours overnight. Mm. And you might think, oh, come on, surely everyone does 12 hours. But no, there's so many people who are snacking late into the evening in front of the TV or if you're working late in front of your desk, you know, using it as a sort of energy pick me up or a boredom tool. I mean, this year with so many lockdowns, I know you said you're in Melbourne, Nick. You guys, lockdown this year must have, I mean, that was just, that's the feedback I was getting from people. It was really hard to eat healthily because you're bored, (laughs) you're stuck inside, the kitchen's right there. Yeah. And we feel good when we eat, you know, so it was. So it must have been a very hard year to, for people to be ensuring that they were eating well. So, you yeah. know, I think, I think it's um, taking all of those factors into account, start with that 12 hours overnight. And then if you want to play around with, I interviewed Michael Mosley actually last weekend at our lifestyle conference. So, you know, for him, he's an advocate of the 5-2, so he picks two days a mm. week where he mm. fasts. And so you drop your, not quite to zero, you have about 500 calories, it's about 2000 kilojoules. Um, on those two days and then you eat healthily the other days Um, whereas for other people they like the idea of extending the overnight fast and here in Australia the 16-8 diet is quite popular where you eat within an eight-hour window Um, and there's less research around that so we don't actually know what the optimal regime is at the moment but to me it just makes a sense it makes sense to give your gut a break from food and at least have that overnight fast and if you want to extend it a little bit longer then go for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's what I've found. Yeah. The sort of you know, a lot of people that I know have found where it's that 16 hour break. It sounds like a lot, but it's really only just skipping breakfast normally. So it's like not
2: yes. that
1: crazy of a thing to, to do, but um, yeah, my dad's been doing the five, two diet for, I think eight years now and he swears by it and he's stuck to it and lost so much weight. And it's, just been so sustainable. So it's, it's interesting, but, but also like what you were saying, you know, that's another big thing. And um, probably my biggest go-to when I'm stressed would be to lock myself away, you know, at night, get snacks watch Netflix to turn the brain off but it's not good for you and I've seen you know like you're saying with COVID um that's a big thing that happened I don't know one person that didn't put on weight because you're sort of in inside you know, know what the hell else do I do drinking coffees eating all day every day um
2: I know COVID <laughs> kilos it was a real thing
1: <laughs> COVID kilos yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, so, you know, uh, yeah. It, it, and it has made it hard. Look, look I think yeah. um, let's let's be a bit easy on ourselves that this has not been the easiest year. And I think uh, most of us yeah. are gladly saying goodbye to 2020. And I'm hopeful that things will get better. If there's a positive, I mean, the one thing that's been good is that certainly, you know, I ramped up what I was doing online because, I, you know, our mm. events and our sort of face-to-face stuff were obviously all lost. And online, that's what I was being asked about. I was like, Joe, we need an idea. We're all cooking at home more often. You know, mm. even I was, I'm, I'm, I'm love cooking and, and, uh, you know, enjoy creating new recipes and there's a big part of my work, but even I, this year was going, God, I just can't think of <laughs> another meal because I was having to produce three meals a day. So I cut it yeah. down and went, that's it. You're getting two meals a day <laughs> <Everyone> <laughs> too much otherwise. Out, outside of that, but you yeah. know, it's difficult. but, but if there's a positive, it's that actually home cooking became a thing again people lots more people have got into cooking this year um you know buying produce creating recipes or following recipes and you know even the whole sourdough people making their own sourdough bread and Mm. so I welcome all of that and I hope that we can take some of the lessons we've learned and continue them um into to 2021.
1: Yeah and how have you personally found the experience in during during COVID as it so it's been I guess good in some ways in Mm. trying to readjust things
2: yeah, well look, I I'm I'm in Sydney, so we didn't yep. quite it have the same, it's not been the same intensity as, as for you guys down in Melbourne, obviously. Um, but you know, we had our initial go hard, go early, that sort of six week kind of lockdown. And that was a scary period because it was so there was so much uncertainty about what the virus was and you know, you were kind of concerned, even going to the supermarket to get your food. It was, you know, it was a really funny kind of vibe. I think there was a lot of anxiety and, you know, I lost a lot of my work like, like other people did. And so I had to change and think, okay, well, what am I going to be able to achieve? And I recognize from a mental health perspective, I think I'm, I'm pretty resilient in terms of my mental health. I'm generally quite an optimistic person um but you know i started to think people who have got mental health issues must really be struggling here because i had a level of anxiety around the fact that it's the first time in 21 years in australia that i've not been able to tell my mom i can jump in a plane and come home mom, if, and be home in a yeah. day if anything happens yeah. you know yeah. most of my family are still in europe or and many of them still in the uk so you know so so those sorts of things were difficult for us to deal with um but actually moving towards the end of the year the last few months have been much better where i've recognised that actually from from a health and nutrition perspective, from a lifestyle medicine perspective, there's renewed interest because I think people have recognized, well, actually there's some of this stuff we can't control. And that old adage about let's try not to stress about things that are beyond our control and focus on the things that we can change. And so I have sensed this shift in people that they've gone, you know what? We do have some control over our health in terms of our diet. Lots of things have been flagged like the importance of vitamin D And getting outdoors and the influence vitamin d has on your immune system so we know that people who have who have had very very bad covid symptoms um, are more likely to have low vitamin d so you know those sorts of nutritional things and people are recognizing oh my goodness chronic disease is a risk factor for this disease it's a risk factor for you uh, for you dying from this disease or having very very serious symptoms and lifestyle uh, medicine and nutrition has a massive impact on chronic disease you know something like the estimate is that 80% of chronic disease could be prevented if only we lived healthier lives and we ate a healthier diet now that's pretty extraordinary that's so, insane. you know the potential yeah. so if, if anything if there is a positive from my from my work perspective for this year is that there's renewed interest and a growth in, of interest in lifestyle medicine and how can we employ that so that you know we we give ourselves the best chance because you know, it's probably isn't going to be the last virus. We're, we're going to have to deal with these things that happen. And if yeah. we, things we possibly can be, that gives us the best chance.
1: Absolutely. Um, which, yeah, I was going to ask you, I guess, with, you know, broad education in this area and, you know, understanding, you know, what is a good fat, what, sh- you know, how much sugar should we have different things that mm-hmm. affect us and what are these long-term um impacts like you're saying, you know, diabetes, um, and uh, obesity, heart attacks, what, what, so I guess, you know, what are the implications, um, and how can we understand it more? And also, um, with, I guess, access, especially in the Western world to fast food. And I mean, in America, it's, mm. I guess, and if you're not, if you're sort of struggling financially, often the easy option is, well, I can go and spend in America a dollar and get a hamburger. Um, how, you know, how to, how to sort of go about changing, because it's such a big problem in that, in that part of the world. Um, Well,
2: well, this is, uh, I mean, one of the things that I feel very strongly about is that we often put too much individual pressure. You know, we blame the individual for their particular things. There's two things I want to say about that. One is Mm. some of us are just going to get the bad luck card. and, And I always urge people to please be sympathetic around not everyone genetically, and from their environment. So depending on what your childhood was and what you ate drank, there, what your mother ate while she was pregnant with you in the womb, all Mm. of these things have influence. This is what epigenetics is. It's how your diet environment right from conception uh, throughout life, but particularly in those childhood years actually influences the expression of genes. So it can ramp genes up and down, turn genes on and off. So what the first thing we have to recognize is it's not the same for all of us. Some people will just naturally be much it will find it much easier to control their weight if we use overweight and obesity as an example whereas for other people you know genetically they are predisposed and then environmentally through their upbringing um, of all of these different factors, just make them much more predisposed to, to being overweight. And there's scientific reasoning, and you know there's biology behind that that w- we can use to understand what those things are. So it is different. We all have that skinny friend who seems to be able to eat whatever they like and never mm-hmm. exercise. But actually, when you get into the nitty gritty, we start to see what those changes are. The other thing is, is just as you point, what is the environment around us? You know, I live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It is not difficult where I live to get a healthy meal. I mean, I've still got to choose to I can get unhealthy food, too, of course. And I've got to monitor, you know, how much I eat. I mean, those things are in control. But in other parts of Australia and other parts of the world, you, met, you've met, you mentioned the States. I mean, that's a classic example of areas that you go there where it is very difficult to get those whole real minimally processed foods that we talked about before mm. or they're much more expensive so if you're struggling to feed your family are you going to choose the cheaper you know ten dollar family meal from the fast food restaurant or are you going to spend that money on you know some fresh food from the grocer so it's it's it makes it really really difficult so what I and people in my position are trying to do are to say right. We yes, there's an individual choice here, and yes, we have to educate and give people the skills and and help them to make the behaviour changes that they need to do. Give them the skills to know how to budget and make a healthy meal uh, from uh, key ingredients that are more cost affordable. But also, we've got to change the environment to make it easier, yeah. and that's where the government comes in. So things like yeah. why we why we're debating over this sugar tax. That's Mm. been shown to work in other countries on some levels. We do have, you know, I mean, companies, food companies and drinks companies and so on, they have an obligation to start making change. And they Mm -hmm. are, you know, so this, you know, sugars have been cut dramatically from soft drinks, for example. Uh, Lots more sugar-free options are being made available. Sugar has been slashed from breakfast cereals. Mm. Um, You know, all of these sorts of changes. So we have to make it easier for people to do the right thing. Cities have to be designed in such a way it's that it's easier to walk cycle exercise our way around the city um you know i my teenage son wanted to cycle home from the park the other day and i was terrified about letting Mm. him cycle on (laughs) sydney roads it's it's not an easy city to to it's an easy city to walk in but we we make it easier for people to be able to do the lifestyle factors that we know make a real difference
1: yeah definitely and I guess yeah it's good to see that the government on some level is starting to do that but I think yeah like you're saying it's probably got such a long way to go and so much of the western world is all about capitalism and so much of that selling things that are not good for us in food and every other area so it's like it's kind of scary but you know I guess like um it's good to see that it is changing and um
2: they could and be if, doing a lot more, but yeah, yeah, there's small things are being done. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And if someone is listening to this and, you know, they're liking what they hear and they want to learn more um, themselves, like to educate themselves about different, you know, like different sugars, carbohydrates, foods they should eat, what's good, what's not good. How What, what would be the best start for them to start? Well,
2: well, there's lots of information online and all I'd say is just look at what the qualifications are of that person, you know, to to be either a registered nutritionist, who will have an R, registered nutritionist after their name, or a clinical nutritionist, so they're a degree qualified nutritionist, or a dietitian. These people have had a tertiary education, so they've been at university for a minimum of three years, often a lot longer. Um, You know, I I did a ridiculous amount of university because I did my research (laughs) degree too, but... Um, So, so look at what the credentials are. And just because someone is, and, and I say this with, with all, I do lots of work with medical doctors, but they will be the first people to say they only do about two hours of nutrition training because they have a lot of other stuff they have to know about, (laughs) (laughs) you know, why do we expect a medical doctor to also know the same context that someone would have doing three years of a nutrition science degree? So, just be point, aware, yeah. you know, be aware of, of, of or if it's a personal trainer who's done an online course in nutrition, they are only qualified to give some healthy advice. They cannot yeah. do one-on-one clinical nutrition or personalized nutrition to you. Um, so so pay attention to where the information is coming from. There's some great information online, you know, follow dietitians on Instagram. Of course, I'd love everyone to to follow me. I always try to post useful things. You'll got lots of silly things like my fluffy, cute dog, um, but you'll also get... Really good nutrition science uh, things that was maybe an interesting study, or I try to create little infographics that give people sources of different nutrients, or you know information about gut health. Um, and of course, I've got a number of different books, and 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 as do some of my colleagues. So that's my best advice: look for people who are qualified nutritionists or dietitians, mm-hmm. look for their books, follow them on social media, um, look for what sort of dietary programs they are, and anyone who's got their blinkers on and only follows one particular way of being, I doubt that they're a qualified individual.
1: Yeah, it's sort of a warning sign, I guess, if you're saying that, that okay, this might might not be, you know, too credible if someone's yes. saying that. Um so I just got a, a couple more questions here. I guess, you know, being on the back to the mental health side of this, um, with the, you know, the gut biome, which I was sort of asking you about earlier, um that, there's a lot more science behind that now. What how does what's the connection with that and mental health?
2: Mm. Well, that's pretty extraordinary, really. We've we've always known that diet has an influence, as do other lifestyle factors like exercise, have an influence on mental health, but we never really understood completely why. So, yes, following a healthy diet is important. The Mediterranean diet has has got some excellent research. My colleague Felice Jacka at the Food and Mood Centre down in Geelong has has her team are involved in the Smiles trial, and they mm. have very much shown that a Mediterranean diet can reduce the risk and improve management of things like depression. Um, so there's some good evidence, but we didn't completely understand them, all of the mechanisms why. And now with this uh, unfortunate word, but the explosion of uh, information in gut health and the gut microbiome, we're starting to understand, actually, this is extraordinary. There's about two kilograms of bugs living, living within your colon. And they, that's bigger than some of our organs, that, that particular weight. And they're not just you know silent passengers. They're not just, they've found a nice place to live they're actually beneficial to our health. So it's a, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. And what happens is when we feed them in the right way to ensure that we have a very diverse and even source, the idea that there's good and bad bugs is a little bit simplistic. It's actually more about, just as when we talk about the Amazon rainforest, you want there to be insects and birds and different trees and different shrubs. You don't want a monoculture Mm. of all of the Mm. same kind of species. The same is true in your gut. You want this evenness between bugs so that there isn't one group of of bacteria dominating over everybody else. You want this, um, what microbiologists call evenness. So it's diversity and evenness are the two most important factors. And when you eat a plant rich diet with loads of different types of fibers we talk often about, you know, you've got to try and have 30 different plant foods across the week. That's a good little goal to really fuel all of these different types of, of microbiome. Get your fasting going. You, then you help build up the bacteria that, that are, are, are working on the mucus lining of the gut, helping to keep that healthy. All of this little thing. Now, how it relates to mental health is that they ferment the fibers. They produce particular metabolites from that. Some of those have an effect within the gut, like they can be anti-inflammatory, or some of them are absorbed up into the bloodstream where they're anti-inflammatory or antioxidants. And some of them travel to the brain and they can get across into the brain. And then they influence Mm. the the, uh, communication between brain cells. We know therefore that they influence your mood, how you feel, um, and even influence your food choices. So they can be driving. So if you follow a really bad diet, it sounds extraordinary, but actually your gut microbiome might be reinforcing those food choices because that, the bugs that are thriving in that environment, they wanna keep going at survival. So wow. there's even research suggesting that our food preferences are, are in part, you know we're not quite puppeteers at the behest of our microbiomes, <laughs> but, but they're certainly influencing our, our, our brain choices, our food um, pre- um, preferences. So it's, it's pretty extraordinary. So it's starting to, we're starting to understand that really, I mean, I talk about gut health being at the center of our overall physical and mental health. It is the interface between the outside world and and the inside Mm. our bodies. It's the interface between our, it's where all of our nutrition absorption happens. So what's happening in the gut is absolutely crucial for, for the rest of the body.
1: It's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. So I think one of the main takeaways I'm taking out of it is, um, Again, just looking at all of this holistically and understanding all the different options that are out there with the diet, making good choices that can work for us, but not just looking at it in just diet, but doing, you know, having balance in all areas of our wellness so that we can sustain a good diet sort of, um, I think, is a good place to yeah. start anyway when you're, when you're looking into it. Um, from what you've been saying. So um, I guess for you, what do you have things that you personally do? Um, well, I know you do from what you've said, but what are some things you mm. personally do sort of daily with your diet, exercise, other forms of mm. wellness that, that help you, that, that you, you know, can't yeah, live without.
2: I, I, well, I always, I, I just feel bad. One of the, I love, love, love traveling when we're allowed to, but one of the, yep. <laughs> one of the things when I travel is I do when I, I do look forward to coming home and getting back to my own food. Cause I, you know, I do, uh i just recognize that my energy levels are different i feel different i'm more sluggish when i'm not eating you know the kind of diet that works well for me so for me i, I do do a little bit of intermittent fasting it doesn't always work for me because i either do my workout at kind of nine nine thirty in the morning after i drop dropped the kids at school or i do it at lunchtime and when right. i'm exercising at lunchtime it's too i can't get up work all morning you know go and do my work it's a long time then it's too long for me until I'm then eating. So, so my personal thing is I do two. Meal, try to do two meals a day, and it's either a breakfast and I skip lunch because I'm working out, or I do an extended overnight fast and I do my workout in the morning and then I and then I eat one meal sort of late morning, um, and then nothing till dinner. Or I'll have a handful. Mm. I'll have a piece of fruit and a handful of nuts. You know, if I'm hungry, sort of late yep. afternoon. That's my eating, and my, and I just make sure I have loads of plant foods. So I eat whole grains. I eat legumes. I eat. Uh, fruits and veggies, of course, Not I try to have a handful of nuts every day, but I also eat meat and I have eggs as my favorite breakfast. Um, so I do eat animal yeah. foods as well. I try to get more seafood into my family's diet, but I do try to think about beyond just the nutrition science, I actually do try to think about being somewhat involved with sustainable seafood. So making sure we're making sustainable choices there trying to be as ethical as I can in terms of the meat that I buy. Um, I, I stand up for the Australian meat industry often. We do have a much better uh, farming uh, uh, and system here than compared to the, the States. Our meat is much better quality here. It's almost all grass-fed. You hear, the, you hear this cheese yeah. grass-fed meat all the time. Almost all of our meat here in Australia is grass-fed. So it's, it's,
0: it's
2: yeah, so we, so we do have much better quality meat. So that's kind of my nutrition. In terms of exercise, I'm a fan of HIIT training. I've been experimenting with that more, um, more because of some of the research I'm reading about the anti-aging effects. So I'm trying to do my best in terms yeah. of, of um, aging. Uh, and uh, and then, yeah, you know what? The other thing I think that may, we maybe always forget about is taking time out, and it's never been more important than this year when so many of us have been working from home, is that I never feel guilty about taking time out. Even if I've got a deadline I'm supposed to be meeting and go, you know what, it's actually really important. that I sit and play a board game with my kids. Or
0: yeah,
2: or I take myself out, I turn my phone off and I read a book. Um uh, you know, it's it's or I go and potter in my garden. I've got into my little I don't have much of a garden, but I've got into doing as much gardening as I can outside this year. You know, those things are just as important because then when you're on your work mode, I find it then easier to focus and and yeah. you know be in more concentrated periods of time rather than this sort of being on the on you know the rat race the whole time trying to produce work. So time time out for yourself and time out for social connections with others is just as important for our health.
1: Absolutely because it's yeah it, it is more important than ever. And we're on we're connected to technology 24-7 and social media and looking at different media outlets and so much information. And I think one of the biggest things I've seen through this podcast as well is just how detrimental that is to creativity. If we give ourselves that time yeah. out that's actually you know, not only are we recharging ourselves and like you're saying, then when you go back to uh, approach a task, you can often get it done in twice the amount of time that then if you just sat there for 24 hours and never had a break, you won't even get, you'll get less done because you're, you're operating at such a low level. But um, it's often where we can be creative and come up with new ideas sure. and things come to us. And we don't, that's a sad and scary thing about world we live in now if the individual doesn't um have the discipline or make the effort to do it we don't have the ability to be as creative because we you need that space so such an important thing I
2: I have two teenage boys so it's something I think a lot about with for them and and but you know as adults we're as guilty you know when I look around the room often or you know when I was normally in normal life I'm often in airports and in the Qantas club and when I watch people around me, like we're so, we've got entertainment at our fingertips. And so, you know, it's amazing when I look around and, and people are not connecting with each other anymore because they're on their device. And, you know, you watch people at a bus stop instead of them, when I was growing up, you'd just have to stand at the bus stop and wait and use your imagination and you'd think of you yeah. know, whatever. Um, now, everyone can immediately get their phone out. You know, you just watch what people do. It's immediate that, you know, your phone's in your hand and people are then engaged with their phone instead of actually being engaged with, with people around them. So I do wonder how much of that is stopping. I have some of my best ideas when I was, It's just me and my dog out walking. Yeah. Um, so that's when I think through and, you know, and even getting enough sleep. Sleep, yeah. actually, you can wake up and if you get a good night's sleep, your mind is still thinking through some of those issues or problems. Um, through the night, and then often it's, uh, it comes to, to play. So, I do think I'm a fan of technology. I mean, goodness, what would this year have been like if we didn't have technology yeah. to be able to work and be able to connect with our families and friends? Um, but, you know, we've got to understand the flip side of it. And, and again, it's that word balance coming back to understanding how can we use technology to be helpful in our lives and to, to be a fabulous source of entertainment as well as helping us professionally. Um, but yeah. also how can we disengage with it? And actually, you know, I encourage my kids to, uh, uh, one of them will, will read, he's got a Kindle and he's an avid reader, but I can't get the other one doing it. But, you yeah. know, <laughs> just going back to reading or, or just having sort of simpler, simpler, uh, fun entertainment, the playing the board game, you know, that's been doing, I, I have liked that people have been doing jigsaws over, jigsaws yeah. be a, a comeback during, during this year. But having those kind of much more simple pleasures instead of this sort of constant high level, entertainment that leaves no space for your own creativity
1: exactly exactly and um, just I've got a few closing questions that I'll go to in a second but um, just to finish up on that um, you know you reading up on what what you've done you know you've written eight books you've obviously studied to a crazy degree you speak all over the world you know you do so much Um, how big how important um, is having purpose and having um having meaning in what you're doing mm. to drive that is that is that a big sort of thing for you i mean i know for me and it's a big thing i talk about finding that purpose you can sort of then it doesn't really become work is that yeah would you say that's a big yeah. part of what drives you? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Funnily enough, the word purpose was in my mind when we were just uh, when we were talking about something else. And yeah. the rituals—that's what it was. When I was thinking of having those sort of rituals and ticking something off that you've achieved every day, that's essentially what I was thinking in my head. I was thinking it's about having a purpose. Yeah, and okay, what what was that? And for me, my work is—I mean, yes, of course, like any one aspects of my work are just hard work and aren't my favourite parts and I've got to meet deadlines, I've got to do things, but for the large part of it, I'm passionate about the area, I'm passionate about the difference I can make Um, and about, you know, trying to spread a really good message. And it warms my heart when I get feedback from people who say, thank you so much, Joe, that was really helpful, or I've taken on board. And it might just be something as simple as drinking more water and the difference that that's made to them, or, you know, just giving them the allowance to say, you know what, it's not a bad thing to go and have a little nap when I'm exhausted. Little simple changes that can make a huge difference to people. So, yeah, I get my kicks from that um you know i love my work for the most part and you know i I wouldn't change what i'm doing for the world i feel fortunate that i've been able to kind of follow my passions and make this my career but yeah it's um it's it's been a fun ride and i hope i've got a lot more to go i was making it sound like i was at the end there
1: (laughs) i think i I think you're only a
2: few years yet
1: (laughs) No, it sounds like you're just getting warmed up you've got plenty plenty of time to go I'm sure you're still very young um but yeah and it's like what you're saying like with um you know with these simple things exercising eating well um because we are now conditioned to um you know for that instant gratification through technology and how we're what we're being taught then people are often wanting to exercise just for that instant know the vanity side of it rather than Mm. if you apply meaning to it and think i want to exercise because it's going to be good for my mind it's going to be good for my body it's going to give me longevity in life then there's a very deep long-term meaning and we can apply that to you know every part of life and get that sustainability so i think it's just it's so important um
2: for sure and you know what so many people give up exercise for i mean i taught fitness myself for about 15 years so we used to do a lot of work on why is it that so many people join a gym and we lose them three months later And the reason is that people think, well, I didn't get the changes to my body I was expecting. And personal trainers will say this all the time that, you know, someone will have left them because they just didn't—they had, you know, unrealistic expectations of how their body was going to change. I always say to people, if you're going to judge exercise based on either helping you to lose weight or just dramatically changing the look of your body in the short term, Mm. you're grossly underestimating what exercise is doing for you. You know, yeah. that's not the real role of exercise. Uh, exercise definitely has a role in your weight control over the very long term, and we certainly know it plays an important role if you've lost a lot of weight and helping you to maintain that weight loss. But you know, exercise does so much more than that I, I had a quote that I used to use, oh gosh, more than a decade ago, but it's still so pertinent. I must find it again, but it talks about and I sometimes use it when I'm talking at the in a public sort of a format where I'll say you know imagine there's a pill that could um, increase the number of brain neurons you've got, increase the capillaries in your heart and to your extremities, um, make you look younger and feel younger, increase your energy levels, help you to have more muscle and less fat, reduce your risk of whatever it is, eight different types of cancer, etc. cetera. The list goes on and on and on. It's a really nice little paragraph. And then at the end you say, well, there is no such thing. There is no such pill. The pill is exercise. And that, that to me, yeah. I just loved it because it was like that drives it home. This is why you're exercising. Not to mm-hmm. look like you know your favorite um, person in a bikini or a pair of budgie smugglers on Instagram. It's yeah. actually all of this much more important stuff than, the, and it will make you look better. You know, well over the long term. But that word consistency comes back in again. You know, it's I love just that. so much more than that.
1: Yeah, there's a, you'll get all those byproducts of it, but that's not why you're doing it. And there's so much, so many other you know meaningful reasons to do it. They're gonna just improve your yeah. life. So. No, I really love that. I might have to steal that next time I'm doing a talk. I going <laughs> um, to find it for I'm
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> please do, it, yeah. yeah.
1: I'd love to say it. I'd love to say it. It's really, yeah, I think it's a really just, it, it just sort of gets to the point of why you do it. It's so good. Um, so we finish up with five um, questions. These are just one line, whatever comes to mind, just short answers that we okay. ask every guest at the end of each interview, just so to see what, answers come up um before i go into that um for everyone listening to this episode where can they go to learn more about you do you have any projects that are coming up if they want to follow you on social media we'll put all of these links in the episode but um yeah where where can they go and what how how can they learn more about what you're doing
2: yeah so follow me on social media my handle is just is dr joanna mcmillan on both my from my facebook professional page and from my instagram uh, you will find me on Twitter, but I confess it's not my favorite social media. I don't, I don't find it a very effective form of communication. So Instagram and Facebook are my main ones. I am on LinkedIn for anyone who's in a professional sphere. And of course, my website, which is just if you do dot it will take you uh, to my website. And you can join my online program there. That's all going to be rebranded next year. But essentially, right. it's a lifestyle medicine um, program. And my exciting news is actually that we're speaking today and it just came out today. It's my first Audible book. And it's called Gutful. Um, so it's an Audible original. Uh, so if you're an Audible member, and I can recommend, I mean, this has been great, these Audible um, books and podcasts and things this year, because I listen to them all the time now when I'm driving or when I'm out walking or when I'm doing the housework or, you know, chores, yeah. great way to, to listen to some information. Um, so you can join Audible and then you get the Audible originals, including my book for free as part of your membership. Or if you're not a member, you can you can purchase it separately. So, yeah, I'd love some support for for the book. And it's all about what to eat for a happy gut. So some of the things that we've been talking about.
1: Amazing. Well, congratulations on the Audible book. And um, we will put all the links in there for your social handles and the program and your website and the book. Um, So anyone listening to this, you can go into the show notes and um, find all of the direct links to to check all of that out. So the final questions here, um, yeah, we've got five questions. The first one is, uh, and yeah, just whatever comes to mind with these, um, best childhood memory?
2: Best childhood memory? Um, Probably skiing with my dad. He used to, that was the one thing. My dad was a busy, long-working, he was a lawyer, so he was always working long hours. But through the winter in Scotland, that was his thing. He'd take us kids in the back of the car, drive to the north of Scotland where the ski fields are, and we'd have a day skiing and then drive home again. They were great days.
1: Amazing. I can imagine be pretty beautiful out there as well. Um, what do you think currently is the biggest burden on mental health in society? Uh,
2: biggest burden on mental health. Oh, I, I think the biggest burden is is uh, for personally for most of us is that balance of work life kind of balanced mm. anxiety. Um, you know, over because we're we're on a global scale now instead of just living our own little eco environment. So there's bigger things to worry about. You know, I, I do worry about kids growing up in this environment where they worry not just about themselves, but about the world. So, and and I'm gonna to add to that, that I am concerned about. There is very lack of support for people with severe mental health problems. So we could do with a better mental health system in our, in
1: Medicare. 100%, yeah, I couldn't agree more with both of those. Um, where do you see mental health in society in 10 years time? Do you see things sort of improving? Um, Going downhill, or maybe a bit of both.
2: Oh, uh, look! I am an optimist, so yep. I, I think it's going to improve. It's getting a lot more attention. We're understanding a lot more. Perhaps in the past, it's been stigmatized a lot, in part because there possibly weren't the best treatments, and we didn't really know how to manage certain things. And people often suffered in silence. They didn't speak up because there was such a sti- there still is a stigma attached. Mm-hmm. to mental health. So I think with knowledge and understanding and understanding the influence that things like diet and lifestyle also have um, on mental health. I mean, they you know, we're talking mental health and it's a huge spectrum of yeah. different kinds of disorders. Of course, I don't mean to to um, undermine uh, more serious mental health disorders, which require more medical treatments. But yeah, so I'm optimistic. Yeah. I think the treatments will get better. The prevention will get better. The stigmatization I hope will will be reduced and that will then allow for a better conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've got two more here. What What would you say would be your personal definition of happiness?
2: Uh, oh, having my family and friends around me and everyone being ha- healthy and happy. If they're healthy and happy, I'm healthy and happy.
1: That's great. Simple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so good. Um. So last one, what would you say? I'm sure there's many of these, but what would you say is the most courageous thing you've ever done?
2: Uh What's well, the most good. well? Two things are coming to mind. One is coming to Australia in the first place. Yep. I handed in a company car and a life in London and arrived with nothing but a credit card bill and not much else to my name. Yeah. <laughs> Only to then discover they wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't let me work as a dietitian because I was trained overseas and I had to sit the exam here and that was being revamped, so I couldn't sit it for so. No. That first year in Australia was was quite tough. So the courageous thing I did was go marching into Sydney University office because no one was answering my emails and and in fact you know I think I'd physically sent in my CV and I just launched myself in there and serendipity meant that the head of department at the time, Professor Ian Katerson walked into the office and said, Who are you? And I said, I'm Joanna, I want to do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and that little moment of courageousness changed my life because it meant I could wow. Australia. I got a scholarship. I was I, I could uh, make a career here. So I was grateful for that moment. The second moment was I think I was also pretty courageous just before I turned 40. I did a half iron man. That was that was courageous. Wow,
1: that's that's <laughs> definitely courageous as well.
2: <laughs> I had never done ocean swimming before, and I honestly thought I was going to drown. But anyway, I made it through. I did it for <laughs> charity, um, but yeah, I succeeded. So I think I was six and a half hours or something. But I got wow. there. And I got myself over the finish line. So Good I was- on myself.
1: That's <laughs> an amazing thing. Well, both yeah, incredibly courageous things and. Um, I just want to say to you, thank you for making the time to talk to me today. I know you're busy and you're doing some amazing work and I know this will help so many people listening. So I just want to yeah, th- say thank you again because it's I've learned a lot from talking to you and really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, thanks. thanks for making the time.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's
1: been a delight. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Dr. Joanna McMillan for joining me today on Move Your Mind.
0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.